Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. OHL Hockey is back. This is the Farwell and Pope Podcast. Originating from the 570 News Studio in Kitchener. Here are your hosts, Mike Farwell and Chris Pope. How many more shutouts does Ukul Pekalukanen have to have, Mike Farwell, before the city of Sudbury starts to show up and realize they got themselves a wagon in the Wolves this year? I thought you were going to ask how many more shutouts he needs before they erect a statue to him right aside the Stomp and Tom statue outside the Sudbury Arena in the Nickel City. The answer to that is one. <laughs> uh, he's already leading the league with four this season. He's played three games since winning gold at the World Junior Hockey Championships. Two of them he was perfect in. Two shutouts. Three games. Welcome back. He is on an 11-game winning streak in the Ontario Hockey League at the time of this podcast. Which you may have already learned by checking out Popers' Twitter, uh, at underscore Chris Pope. I'm at Farwell underscore OHL. If there's a goalie stat to be shared, it'll come from Poper because goalies are A, weird, and B, they stick together. My kin. (laughs) I love them. But we talked about... The guy you have dubbed UPL, which I don't mind because Uko Pekalukanen is a mouthful. But we talked about him being that difference maker, being that element that makes the Wolves a kind of sexy dark horse pick in the Eastern Conference. The Sudbury Wolves were going great guns, challenging for the top of the division with Niagara before UPL goes off to the juniors. And what happens while he's gone? While the team just (laughs) wins zero games, he comes back, and boom, they're winning again. He's got the two shutouts and three tries, 11 straight victories. And I'll tell you, a lot of people have been throwing some love Stan Butler's and the North Bay Battalion's way, and understandably, they went on an 11-game run uh, without a regulation loss, which was really impressive, climbing up those standings. And Christian Prop is playing well, and of course, it goes without saying, Justin Brazo. But I thought before, and I think even more now, if you want to get through the Sudbury Wolves, you're going to have to find a way to solve Uko Pekalukan, and, and teams are having a heck of a time doing that. Well, I, the way I look at it is, you know, you can look at Ottawa and the moves they made, and you can look at Niagara in the East and the moves they made, and even Oshawa to a lesser extent. But those are quality teams, don't get me wrong. UPL just showed us for two weeks out in Vancouver and Victoria that you can build super teams, i.e. Canada, i.e. the U.S., i.e. Russia, and he's going to have a pretty good time with them. It's not going to matter. So the teams in the Eastern Conference might be weary of facing the Wolves in the first, second, or third rounds of the OHL playoffs because that is a difference maker. If he's on, they can win any night. He's shown that. Let me ask you this, because last week's episode of the Farwell and Pope podcast was, of course, all about the trade deadline that had just passed. We were actually recording it on the night of 
the deadline's passing. But do you think that the Sudbury Wolves, even perhaps more now than they did seven days ago at the deadline, regret not being able to do more? Because I don't think Uko Pekalukkanen is in this league next year. I don't think anybody thinks he is. And when you have a chance like this, like we've talked about around everything trades this year in the OHL, when you got your shot, you got to take it. I know they were trying, but they weren't successful in adding a lot. We've only worked together a season and a half, but we're already on the same wavelength because I was bringing it right back to this point. And my answer to you is no, because I believe he is back in this league next year. Really? Only because I was talking to somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. So the guy that knows the guy that knows the other guy. Exactly. Well, it's more so the guy that knows the guy. Okay. Um, but if you take a look at Buffalo's system, they are goaltender rich right now. And they believe in order for them to be successful and in order for the goaltenders they have in their system, Uko Pekolukkanen will be a Sudbury Wolf next year. Well, that then is a very scary prospect. Because Quentin Byfield is now a year older. They went out and got Adam, Adam Rzichka to add some offense. Great move. And a guy that's been in the playoffs before. Not very deep. Didn't make it past the second round down in Sarnia. But a guy that's been there and now a veteran. I think they move, They made the perfect move. They got an older guy that can add some offense. Take some of the heat off their young players. And I think that Sudbury Wolves team next year. If UPL is back next year. My goodness. He's only going to be better. He's going to be playing against younger players. And that's a team that next year now can go out and make the moves that some of the teams did this year. I just, I was looking at the, the attendance this year in the Ontario Hockey League, according to HockeyDB, and Sudbury's sixth lowest attendance. Yeah, and but... I know, but still. No, I get it. You got yourself a wagon. I get it. But part of it, sadly, because I, for whatever reason... I love the old barn up there. I really do in Sudbury, but it's a tired arena and it's been a long time since the city had a winner. And let's be honest, there are other pressing concerns right now in that area of the province generally and in Sudbury specifically. I want to see every team in this league draw its 2,500 to 3,000 necessary fans to remain viable, and then everything beyond that is gravy. But, heck, we've been to Windsor a couple of times already this year. The most recent visit, certainly more fans, and granted it's a rebuild going on in Windsor right now, but a team that's so recently removed from a Memorial Cup is drawing relatively poorly, at least as far as the eye test goes. I get that, and that that's just the product on the ice. It's a rebuild. They're sure. used to Memorial Cups. Once they load up in two years, then the place will be packed again. But Sudbury has a team that can that can win. They are winning. UPL's on an 11-game winning streak. You'd think people would be showing up a little more. And, and I really don't know why they're not. The building, I'd put no weight into that building at all. People still go to the Almond. People still go to Galt. Yeah, but it's... Absolutely. But it's more... Well, less Galt than the Almond for sure. Yes. But it, it's, yeah, that's more the long-time tradition, 
right? And they've stuck with the team through thick and thin, yeah. smaller town, smaller market. Yeah. There are other things to do. But I just don't think you're you're like, oh, I'm not going to go watch this awesome hockey team yeah. because they play in the Sudbury Arena. I'm with you. You know, I'm with back you. in the like back in the Wolves' glory days, that place was wild. Absolutely, like and three we, deep standing room. When we were up there for the Rangers. Wolves game earlier this year, we were talking about how great it would be when the place is full. Right. What's that going to be like, right? Awful so, to go to. Absolutely. Much like I've talked about with Flint. Yeah. If that Wolves team is tough to play against and they got big bodies like Quentin Byfield going 100 miles an hour down the wing and they're going to bury your defenseman into the end boards. Meanwhile, you got guys throwing stuff at you. <laughs> that, it, it creates quite the atmosphere and one that, you know, a Wolves team can be successful in. All right, let's remember the guy who knows the guy that knew the guy that told Popper yeah. that UPL may have another go-round, the victory lap in the Ontario Hockey League. Boy, would that be nice for that right. franchise. Because, again, just for the league itself, I like to see, you know, everybody has to go through the cycle. The Wolves have been on the down part of the cycle for far too long. I want to see every team get its try at this thing. And uh, if we can see the... The Wolves' return to viability, I, th- I think that's fantastic for the league in general. 100%. I, well, and you, you would think that the Wolves would have made moves if they thought this was UPL's only time here. He's the only goaltender they have right now. Let's call a spade a spade. For sure. We saw what happens when he's not there. So that team would have made moves. They think he's coming back too. Interesting. Interesting indeed. Okay, so from the team in the East that is more intriguing by the game to a couple of teams in the West, uh, one that we could, I think accurately call the super team and the other team that's just the average super team (laughs) if you will because it's the team that's always the team that does the things that anger everybody else in the league but we got to see both of them in up close viewings in the past week with the Guelph Storm at the Memorial Auditorium in Kitchener the super team with Suzuki and Entwistle and Dursey and Phillips and so on not to mention the guys who were there Schnarr, Ratcliffe and company and the London Knights who came in with Evan Bouchard and Kevin Hancock, the trade deadline acquisition, and played the Kitchen Rangers a couple of days later. If that is, and it well could be, a Western Conference final preview, what did you think about the two teams we were able to see the past week? I think that the Guelph Storm, and keep in mind this is only one viewing in Kitchener, I think the Guelph Storm, who later took their anger out on Ottawa... (laughs) So maybe I should watch that game. But I think they're a group that played the Kitchener Rangers like the two points were already in their pocket because of the matchup on paper. And I think we saw a Guelph Storm team a couple nights later on home ice that played trying to send a message to a very good Ottawa 67s club because the Guelph Storm did not look like there was not much effort there from them. Kitchener made their life hard. Don't get me wrong. I thought Kitchener played a great hockey game, played what the kind of hockey Kitchener needs to play in order to win in this league. You need to outwork every opponent if you're the Kitchener Rangers if you want to win because you're not talented enough to win games when you don't work hard. It's interesting because Rangers head coach Jay McKee will probably tell you that he knew how hard he had to work just to stay in the National Hockey League for as long as he did. It was all about work ethic, routine, visualization for Jay McKee when he was a pro and how he stayed a pro when he wasn't the guy that was going to beat you on sheer talent every night. He wasn't going to put up mm-hmm. big points, but he found a way to stay in the league as a reliable defenseman. And he's got a great story we're going to share from his mouth later in this podcast. So don't start fast forwarding yet. Don't put us on one and a half speed yet. 
but he still owes Rob Ray 500 bucks. I'll leave it at that, and he'll explain why a little bit later on. I think with the Guelph Storm team, we saw, obviously, the very early returns. This was right after the deadline. These guys, and I, I think it's kind of a tired excuse. It's kind of like being on the back end of a 3-3. Three and three. Well, the guys were out of gas, those sorts of things. But it will take time for this Guelph team to gel. But when it does, as it does, with the kind of talent it has, hoy yo yo. Yeah. I still say, and we saw Nico Dawes play goal that game against Kitchener, I still say Anthony Popovich is a bit of a wild card in the opposite way that Uko Pekalukkanen is a wild card. You just don't know what you're going to get from Popovich, but I think the Storm are very well positioned in front of him from the blue line out to uh, to make a whole lot of noise. And, and as they come together, they might not lose a whole lot of games down the stretch. Absolutely. The playoffs is a total other monster. And these are, for the most part, older guys in this league that you say you can't turn on that switch, but some guys you can. You, you can turn on that switch. We saw that last year. The switch was flipped. Logan Stanley turned into a completely different player come two weeks, a week before playoffs. It was like, oh, this is, yeah, no, this is the Logan Stanley we were expecting for all 68. He was an, oh, he was unbelievable to watch. Um, and I think that's what we'll see from Guelph. One thing I did notice with the Storm game is that it really, I always knew Nick Suzuki was obviously talented. I obviously knew he was good. I didn't realize he was that good because you put him on a team with other stars and he still was head and shoulders the best player on the ice for the Guelph Storm. I was thoroughly impressed with him. I thought Mackenzie Entwistle didn't really do much in that game at all. He was okay. I thought Suzuki was a man on a mission. Just nobody else was. London, typical London, I thought. Same old, same old. No superstar. That's the thing about this London team that intrigues me the most. It's not your previous five forward power play with Corey Perry quarterbacking it. It's... It's a team that just goes out and gets the job done. Plenty of talent. Yep. Plenty of talent. But I would say, other than maybe Evan Bouchard, bereft of superstars. Yeah. Flat out superstars. But boy, there's a lot of talent there. And Hancock's keep he keeps winning you key draws. He'll pitch in offensively. I don't know. I still say, and then you look at the two-headed monster in goal with Coy and Raymakers, and uh it's it's a it's gonna be a tough team to beat. McMichael was great. Was he ever? Right? He had a great game. He's a, he's a great player. How about those guys, McMichael and Dunkley, yeah. acquisitions a season ago for the Knights when they traded off veterans like Robert Thomas and Max Jones and others, right? Not a bad, quote, rebuild. They've got pretty much 50 <laughs> goals between them. McMichael's yeah, pushing, uh, McMichael got to 20, Dunkley's pushing 30. Yeah. It's incredible the dividends they've paid in such a short time. You mentioned that power play, and it hasn't been where London's power play normally is in the top three of the league. But they have three defensemen on it. Strange. But not a bad idea when you've got a player like Will LeHead. Stick him in front of the net. Exactly. He's not shy about going there. And then you got the big clapper from, obviously, Evan Bouchard. And Adam Boakfist is might be my favorite player in the league to watch. He's outstanding. The Kitchener Rangers played that game oh, a little more than a decade ago. They had a big lumbering defenseman by the name of Brian Soso. He wore number six. And... The guy had hands of cement, although he went on, and I'm, I'm sure it was the coast. He he scored 20 in his first pro season. It was it was ridiculous. I'm pretty sure it was coast. Anyway, he, he wasn't much of a scorer. He was just, he was a big defenseman. 
and they started using him for net front presence. On them. You know, maybe now that I'm thinking back, maybe he got traded away in his OA year and he scored 20 in the O. I forget. This is all coming off the top of my head. The point is, the Rangers use that Will the Head trick with Brian Soso, park him in front of the net, force the other team to move him, create some traffic. It was fun to watch. You could say that he's the OHL's forgotten 20 goal man? Oh, I think you could say that. In fact, clearly he is. Well played, sir. Thank you. Well played. Let me ask you a trivia question in response to your very well played segue. Yes. Name for me. The only member, former member of the London Knights, to go on and score 60 in the show. Rob Shrimp. <laughs> Come on now. Don't uh, speak so loose. Oh, okay. Uh, Corey Perry? That would be a good guess, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, I would think so. You might even throw out Dino Cicerelli. Ooh, you might. Daryl Sittler. S- that's another great example. Shout out St. J-Boy. Brendan Shanahan? Brendan... Oh, you know who I think it is? Who do you think it is? Dennis Marouk. Might be Dennis Marouk. His name is not in the rafters at Budweiser Gardens like the rest of those names we just mentioned, but he was inducted with the inaugural class to the Don Brankley Hall of Fame before a London-Guelph game earlier in January. And you, Popper had the chance to swap stories with the mustachioed one. I want to get Mr. Marouk live on this podcast moving forward at some point because we talked for eight minutes and it was about 30 minutes too short. This guy's got stories up the wazoo and we find out just some of them from the NHL's forgotten 60-goal man. Scotty Stevens. We'll hear those Scotty, names. Scotty, because Scotty was uh, was uh, drafted by Washington, and I was in Washington. Oh, that's right. Scotty yeah. Stevens. Yeah, and then I played with Brian with the uh, North Stars. Nice. Yeah. This is Dennis Marouk on Five Seventy News. This is the second intermission. Rangers and Generals. My name is Chris Pope, and Dennis. First off, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Oh no, no former NHLer, former London Knight. The the resume goes on, but we'll, I want to just get to a quick story. We were just talking about off air. You had an f- unforgettable <laughs> career in the National League and an unforgettable time in this very building. Take me back. You were just telling me a story about when you were a member of the London Knights right. facing Don Edwards and the Kitchener Rangers in the playoffs. What happened? Well, that was, uh, you know, things were going pretty good for me then and, and uh, scoring-wise. And I just, had, you know, talking to a reporter... And uh, he said, well, how, what are you going to do or how are things going to go in the series against Kitchener? I says, well, I'll probably score five goals my first game. And it got into the paper. And, and I was kind of like, oh, geez, I better, I better do something in the game. And I ended up did scoring. I got five goals. Five goals. And so, you know, I was just the way it happened. I wasn't uh, trying to, you know, do anything against the Kitchener Rangers. I was just, uh, we wanted to win the game. Right. Yeah. So I just happened to score five goals. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah, Anything yeah. you can score five on Don Edwards too. He was yeah, pretty good was, back he in the day here. Real good goalie, yes. What are yeah. some of, what are some of your memories you have from your time in the Ontario Hockey League? Maybe against Kitchener, maybe not against Kitchener. Well, I think there was a bit of a rivalry between L- sure. London and, and Kitchener, and 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 I remember coming in here. It was always tough games playing in, in Kitchener, and I think because of that, and uh, you know, I think uh, at, at times one year our team got a little better, and then next year Kitchener got better. So it was kind of they were always pretty close games and that. So, but it was it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed uh, you know playing in the OHL and had a great time in London and. 
uh, I didn't really want to go there. I was I really quit hockey because I wanted to stay and play in Toronto to the Toronto Marlies. And uh, Mark Howe was drafted by London Knights. Right. And uh, the Howes wanted the both boys on the same team. So London and Toronto had to make a trade. And uh, I was uh, I was traded to, to London. And I had already played a few games with the Marlies. And, and I wanted to stay in Toronto. I didn't want to leave Toronto I, at 16 years old. Yeah. But I ended up, wanted, if you want to continue playing hockey, you better move. So that's how I ended up getting to London. You... <laughs> It's, that's an interesting story that yeah. even even that took something yeah. funny to happen. And then you you move on to the National League. There, I, I wrote this down. There are 20 people <laughs> to score 60 goals in the National Hockey League, and you were one of them. Right. What was it like during that season? Did you have that feeling where you're like, I'm unstoppable? Well, I was very disappointed that year because that other guy in the league... Uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, that uh, Gretzky, whatever, <laughs> had 92 goals. and I was having an unbelievable career myself. Bossy and Peter Stastny fighting it out for second place yeah. in the scoring. Uh, so, <laughs> no... Darn Gretzky. Yeah. Great hockey player, but just, you know... Yeah. Yeah, no. No. But it was, it was really... Uh, uh, the year before that, I had 50 goals. And... and uh, it was I played with Bob Down Kelly and Jean Pronovo, and I was a younger centerman. And then it just carried over to the next year. They made a line change and put Ryan Walter on the left wing with me and uh, Chris Valentine, and Brian Murray. Like Brian Murray uh, gave us a lot of ice opportunities, power play, and everything. He kept us together as a line. And I, I think he saw something there right from training camp that. Uh, there's a good mixer of these three guys mm-hmm. see, and and we kept, Ryan had a great year Chris had a great year and, and I had 60 goals and I, I really believe that I didn't score the last couple games and had chances I probably could have had 75 80 if things went in that's just the way it was yeah. it was things really gelled as a line and uh, you know I have a, a lot of respect and I owe a lot of favors you know and compliment the two guys I play with because it doesn't you don't do those things with just yourself yeah you got and even Gretzky when you got the 90 goal he doesn't just do it himself you got a supporting cast I had a supporting cast with Ryan Walton and Chris Chris Valentine otherwise you know I had 136 points and, and that's not bad even even Ovi says yes he he'll, he'll never break that record yeah. he says that's your record you know you you've got it don't worry about it what's Ovi like Always great guy. His English is a suspect, yeah. but uh, you know, I met him and I was there for the first game, the uh, the Banner game. Yeah, I was down for a couple games in the playoffs last year in the, in the Stanley Cup Finals, but uh, went to the uh, the Banner night and ended up having a t- good chance. I got onto the red carpet before oh, the awesome. game was nice, and then the team came, so he came, give me a big hug. We talked a little bit, and then Ralph ba- uh, not Ralph um, uh, Backstrom came, yeah. and said the same thing, and it was just like. It was just kind of neat to be part of it. And for sure. We were really excited, even though we paved a little bit of the way for them. Uh, we didn't have a real strong team, but but it was just nice to see them do it. And and he he's a real loves his game. Yeah. As you watch, I call him the rock star out there. You know, he just he just goes. <laughs> he's one of my favorites. He just to watch. goes, and then he got the ambassador with Crosby. Yeah. You know, right. and then he got that. But you got to have them in the game. You got to yeah. have them, and it's exciting to see them both still doing really well at their age compared to where the league has gone the, younger. The one thing I love about watching both those guys 
is that they both love the game yeah. so much. You you never see them on a shift out there where you know that they're not happy to be playing oh, in the greatest most league. Most definitely. And, yeah. Right? They yeah. love the game. Yeah. What was it like back in your day in the National Hockey League? Survival. <laughs> I'm glad I'm still still standing. Or You know, it was, I had a target on me. I was a For goal sure. scorer. And, yeah. And uh, all those kind of things happened. But um, it was really tough. There was a lot of hitting. A lot of fighting, a lot of cross-checking, a lot of spearing, you name it. There was on and on about things, and it was a tough, you had, to, you had to fight your own battles, and you had to get your own space, so you had to do those little things, and, you know, I, I had one, uh, I did a couple events uh, after I was done with uh, Bobby Clark, and uh, we're looking at each other like we're standing, <laughs> and he called me, you little, you know, so, yeah, and yeah. then I looked at him and says, you were so bad of a you know same thing and, yeah. he, and he goes well when we played you all i did was we had all the numbers up on the board of your team and all we did was circle 21 get him <laughs> you know coming from bobby clark i i respect it that's a that's an honor yeah, it's a compliment. compliment coming even though it was to get me really because if they stopped me then because i even when washington was playing the uh, the patrick division right yeah it was tough yeah, uh, you know, with the uh, the Devils and Rangers and, and still a brutal. Yeah, and, yeah, and and it was tough hockey. And and I go into Philly and inspect them and, and score three goals, and they would get really mad. They hated that. Philly you know? fans, yeah. All oh, the Philly right? fans hated that, brutal. and the players did too. So, but that's what it was. It was just, I think it was, it was tough hockey. It's a different now game today, as you might want to mention. Is it's a it's a finesse. Uh, speed, the it doesn't matter what size you are. You know, you can if you're fast, got good hands, you can play. Dennis Marouk, former London Knight, former Washington Capital, former California Seals, or Golden Seals. I know I'm missing a couple in there, yeah. but I wanted to ask. You recently just finished up a book not too long ago with Ken Reed of yes. Rogers Sportsnet. Um, check it out. I I just wanted to touch. I was reading the the just a review of it, and after hockey is almost the most interesting part that stood out to me. You've had a couple. I don't want to call them odd jobs, but maybe just un un un. Uh, yeah, I, I gotta call them odd jobs. <laughs> well, that 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 book was put together by Ken and myself, and um, I didn't really want to do it, but uh, he kept harping on me, and when I start telling the stories about things went on in my career and who I met and what I did and all that, he says, you gotta. It can be even a movie. I go, yeah, right. No, come on, no, no. And so there was interesting. Uh, the, the book is called "The Unforgettable Story of a Hockey's Forgotten 60 Goal Man." Yeah. And when you are talk about hockey and 60 goal scores, my name does not come up. Right. And and I'm not ashamed of embarrassed. It's just that uh, I I was one. Of, I was the seventh player to do it. But you don't hear my my name does not come up compared to Gretzky and all those other guys. Yeah. So that was part of the story, and then there was there was a lot of different messages in there about about the game during the time I was, you know, I played on teams that, that folded yeah. and things like that. So you know, where do I go now? Where do I do next? Yeah. So it was frustrating for a while, and then got into the off ice stuff and uh, personal things that went on in my life uh, over the years, and then uh, people I met, uh, where I worked, and on a cruise ship uh servicing the the uh the oil rigs and and the and the golf and you know the deckhand you know all that yeah. kind of stuff and it was just a totally different thing and then i did a bunch of different jobs and you know i met uh, john oates holland oates john oates and worked at his his place yeah. as a you know a landscaper and all that so it was you just meet a lot of people and 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 you know i i owe a lot to the game of hockey because i got to be a lot of people throughout my 
my career and, and, and even post-career because of hockey. Yeah. Shout out to Ken Reed, Sportsnet, who... I don't want to take anything away from Dennis Marouk, because as you can hear, the <laughs> stories are fantastic. Loved them. So just imagine now that, as you said before, we played that relatively short interview. This happened during an intermission of one of our Kitchener Rangers broadcasts, but that's why we were time limited, or mm-hmm. you were. We want another half hour with him. Absolutely. Just imagine being Ken Reed, who essentially writes, he he transcribes the stories. Can you imagine how many notes, how many <sighs> hours of recording would have gone into it, and then Ken putting them all into uh, stories that made sense in the book? Anyway, fantastic guy. What what a what a presence he brings for for one of the guys that was always deemed undersized, yeah. right? They said he was overlooked in his draft year at 18. He's not going to make the NHL because he's too small. Red Tilson Award winner, 75-76 in the OHL, just for the record, most outstanding player. Scores 60 in the show, but he's too small. And he comes into a room and he just takes it over. Right. He was so fun to talk to. And I thought it was hilarious at the start of the interview, him and I were talking during commercial uh, about the Rangers. And he's like, well... He's like, you're not going to ask me about uh, my time with the London Knights, are you? And I, I didn't know like the kind of character that he was or anything. First, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't have to. I'm like, if you don't want to, I'm like, you know, we don't have to. And he goes, well, you know, I once said I was going to score six, and I did. And I was like, <laughs> you what? And then he just starts telling the story, and then we're coming back, and we were back on air, and he's in the middle of a story. <laughs> That's hilarious. Go with it. Just I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. It was I, another former London Knight. Dave Hutchison, who Dennis met when he went to the NHL for the first time with the California Golden Seals. And Hutchison said, if you want to make it at this level, you got to learn to be a prick. Yeah. Hutchison, what, played just over 500 career games, had more than 1,500 career PIMS. I guess Hutchison knew how to be a prick, too. 60 talks in an NHL season. That's, oh. that's crazy. Only yeah. 22 people have done it. Yeah. Now, and some people, Bossy has done it the most five times, right? Six times. Six times for Bossy? Oh, sorry, five, sorry, five yeah. times. Yes. Gretzky and a host of others. Lemieux is in there. Esposito. Hull. Did Esposito, Hull do it four times? Esposito, Gretzky, Lemieux have done it four. Okay. Yeah. Which is insane. It's crazy. And, you know, that's the thing. And that's why it ties in to the story about the forgotten 60 goal man. Of all times for Marouk to tuck 60, yeah. it's the same year Gretzky put in 92. <laughs> Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> right? <laughs> I had why, a pretty good year. Yeah, why didn't you get more attention for scoring 60? Oh, because that Gretzky guy was pretty good <laughs> that year. Yeah, you could say that about pretty much anybody in the era. Anyway, that's fun stuff. It's, uh, it, it's interesting. It shows how it's, it's odd that you just forget about a guy like Dennis Merck, despite scoring 60, despite being one of the greatest Washington Capitals to ever play the game. And everyone's like, who? I don't. I, it's weird. I don't know why. Maybe it's because he was small. Yeah, and the fact that, look, when he was with Washington, it was not a strong yeah. franchise, not a healthy franchise. The California Golden Seals where he came up. I mean, there are lots of reasons. But it also, it also speaks to the, the value that's placed. Like, you talk to Dennis Marouk now. Heck, he signed copies of his book to us. Mm-hmm. And he signs it 60 goals in I love it. 1981-82, <laughs> right? Like, that matters. That matters. It reminds me when I got Marcel Dion's autograph when I was working at a radio station in Thunder Bay, and he was up there for an old-timers game. And he signed it, HOF, and I, I want to say it was 92. Forgive me. I have no idea. But it took me half a second to realize, 
I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. But I guess when yeah. you're in the HOF, you sign HOF. I, the, I just have a stamp on my ring. That, that's how I would autograph stuff. <laughs> Why not? Right? right? Bang. But this is how players measure their worth. And there's a guy that we got to see on this loop, bringing it back to the Ontario Hockey League, that we would have pegged for a lot of National Hockey League goals, if not for the injury. Uh, that he suffered in, of all places, an Ontario Hockey League final. The craziest part about, well, no, it's not. I shouldn't take away from the star, who is the person we're about to hear from. But one of the funny parts of this story is you and I, before we even knew each other, forget, began working together, because that's only been a year and a half, as we already mentioned on this episode of the podcast. But we were in the same arena, watching the same game, and you ended up down on the ice for the celebration afterwards. I was just up bird-dogging with all the other media and scouts, but I was just there for the experience because Mississauga was going to be hosting the Memorial Cup that year, and they were in a dogfight just to win the league championship, which they lost to this next guy and uh, and his team at the time. The only time the Bears won in the Ontario Hockey League, that would be the own sound attack, and... Yes, they were led by a three-headed monster in goal. Oh, man. But up front, in perhaps the entire Ontario Hockey League, it did not get any better than Joey Hishon. He was a superstar in the OHL in his time with Owen Sound, and many people were expecting him to have a long career with the Colorado Avalanche, but injury troubles held him back. The Owen Sound attack... Quick little aside, because you're going to hear his voice in this next interview. The Owen Sound Attack have a legendary play-by-play guy, 30 years at the microphone in fast Freddie Wallace up there in the Bayshore. He's the mayor of Owen Sound. Mm -hmm. Sorry to the real mayor of Owen Sound, but we all know Freddie runs that town. And Freddie's goal call, I'll never forget, Sanaya Sapergi, who was... She was one of the OHL writers that I looked up to when I was breaking into this league. And I thought, man, oh man, if I could ever know as much as Sanaya, mm-hmm. I still don't. She's forgotten more than I'll ever know, but she was so great. She still is great. At her job. Yeah. Incredible, yeah. right? She went from the star at the time to Yahoo Sports to The Athletic, doing great work, yeah. continues to do great work. But she, after the championship, played the... She must have tweeted it, because I remember I got to hear... Freddie Wallace's call of the championship winning goal, which is going to be part of this interview. Don't want to take anything away from Joey because when he walked into our booth for you to do another intermission interview with him, I told him flat out, I said, like, and this is a guy that's been around the Kitchener Rangers for more than a decade now, but Joey Hishon was always one of my favorite players in the league, period. Loved watching him play the game. Stratford native Joey Hishon. I think the craziest part about it is back when Joey Hishon was drafted into the OHL, he wasn't playing AAA. He was playing AA, and he was a top 10 pick. Back then, I'm sure there were some scouts that didn't even know the name Joey Hishon, and then Owen Sound calls him in a top 10 pick, and I'm sure some scouts looked around their respective team rooms and went, what are the attack thinking? We find out what Joey Hishon has been thinking since giving up the game and switching uh, his viewpoint to the press box. We'll 
we'll get to the life of Joey Hish and where it's at right now in a little bit. But I want to ask you, obviously coming back here, the attack playing the Rangers, what are some of the memories you have from this building? Uh, this is always my favorite rink to play in. I thought the atmosphere here was always incredible. I always had a ton of family and friends here. I remember uh, as a 16-year-old, my first or second game in the league, um, was here and uh, I had a box there was a box over there filled with all my friend friends and family so I'll never forget that it was always uh, my, one of my favorite places to play like I said the atmosphere and you guys always had good teams too especially uh, my first year uh, you guys had Azevedo and guys like that so it was a uh, tough rink to play in but always had a lot of fun here how tough was it making the jump into this league uh, it was extremely tough I uh, I actually never played triple-a hockey yeah. so I came straight to the OHL out of uh, Stratford Double A, so from coming to coming from Major Midget Double A into the OHL, it was uh, quite a step, and uh, I struggled, I think, a little bit early. But once I uh, got adjusted, uh, I think I did okay. But it was it was definitely tough at the start. Double A, and you were a first rounder too on sound, right? Eighth overall, is that right? Yeah. So we were a Double A. Yeah, we were just we were just talking there before, but I was fortunate enough to play five games for the Stratford Cullitans, and uh, through those games, I started to get noticed a little bit by OHL teams. But yeah, it, uh, my my parents couldn't. Uh, they really didn't have the means to p- play me in uh, AAA hockey, and my AAA center was uh, an hour away from my my hometown. They were really busy with work, and uh, I. I decided to stay home and, and play double a and uh it all worked out i still got drafted high and uh and toe and sound obviously it was uh, great for me there as well and uh yeah it all worked out definitely worked out you carved out a heck of a career in this league and eventually making it to the national hockey league but your time in Owen sound you were a superstar in this league especially in the year that you guys won an ohl championship what was that game like when you guys finally won? Yeah, it, incredible. I think uh, that was always the goal, and we struggled earlier, early. My, my first year, we missed the playoffs. Second year, we lost in the first round. My third year, we missed the playoffs again, and then my fourth year, we won it. So it was a bit of a, a roller coaster, but uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I think uh, Owen Sound's a small community, but uh, they absolutely love hockey, and uh, the city really gets behind you, especially when you make the playoffs. The Bayshore gets uh, rocking. They pack it every single night, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Forget the Bayshore. When you're doing well, they'll pack the Hershey Center down there in Mississauga, too. When you guys played played uh, Mississauga in the OHL final, they were calling it On Sound South. Yeah, yeah, Bay, Bayshore <laughs> South. Bayshore South, yeah. yeah. I remember uh, skating out to, at the start of the game, and, and the fans went absolutely crazy, and the ref at the time skated up to me and said, if that doesn't get you going, I don't know what, what will. <laughs> uh, it was definitely pretty cool. And then the parade, after we uh, ended up winning in double overtime, the parade back into Owen Sound started about 40 minutes out of Owen Sound, and uh, all, it was all the way, roads were lined up all the way into Owen Sound, so it, uh, it was really cool and something you'll never forget. Elis wins it to Shemitz, his shot, does not get through, hits a body, coming through his brace, throws it in front, Maiden's right, scores! The Ontario Hockey League Championship! Jared Maiden's on the doorstep! I don't believe it! The Hershey Center goes wild! I don't believe it! IHL champion! 22 years in the making, and the Owen Sound attack win it in overtime! I don't believe it! Oh, baby! You talk about the, the community in Owen Sound and whatnot. And did, did you really know that the fans cared that much even before that? Because yeah, they're they're at the Bayshore, you know, every game. They pack the house almost every night. 
and the passion's there. But did you know to what extent? Because, like you said, you come off an OHL championship, can't even get back into town. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Before uh, I went there, I mean, driving up to Owen Sound for the first time after I was drafted, I remember looking at my parents and being like, where are we going? It feels like you're kind of driving into the middle of nowhere. But once I was up there, it's uh, it's a real family feeling. Um, the fans absolutely love all the players. They love hockey. Like you said, it's sold out every game and uh, really, really cool place to play junior hockey. Now, as a scout for the attack, how have you found the transition from player to now scouting? It's been it's been good. I mean, it's it's tough sometimes. Obviously, I'd still like to be playing at, sure. in, in the National Hockey League or pro in Europe, whatever whatever it may be. But health wise, I thought it was best for me to to step away and. Um, I've stayed really busy with the scouting and the skill development stuff, so it's been uh, a lot of fun, and hopefully I can uh, continue to have lots of fun with that. You mentioned the the health side, the concussions and stuff. How are you feeling now? Great, yeah. great. Yeah, Good. no uh, no problems. No, no doctor ever told me I shouldn't play hockey, but I just felt uh, the last one I had was my third concussion, and I just felt it was time to move on and uh, hopefully live a, a happy and healthy life. And um, started to focus focus more on uh, things away from the rink, and it's it's been great. Sportsnet did a fantastic feature on Joey for our listeners. If you haven't seen it, just talking about your your junior, and then obviously the concussion, and how you, how you got back into the game with the help of your wife Dory and stuff. Uh, they also mentioned Snook O'Reilly's dad, uh, Bri- Brian, Brian, Brian yep. yeah, and and the help you got from them. Uh, it's a great feature. If you haven't seen it, make sure to, to head over to sportsnet.ca and, uh, and and take a look at that. Joey, talking about the, the NHL and when you finally got the call that you were going to make your NHL debut, what was that like? Uh, surreal. It was actually a playoff game. So I was uh, I had never played in an NHL game, and uh, I was black acing um, in the playoffs. Uh, Colorado was playing against Minnesota, and Tyson Berry got hurt. And uh, if anyone knows hockey, they'll know Tyson Berry's a defenseman, so I didn't really think I had a chance to get called up, but they ended up calling me up to play on the power play and the power play only, so uh, I went up, and uh, it was uh, it was a pretty cool experience. Um, I mean, for my first game to be in the playoffs in Minnesota in game three and to only play on the power play, I ended up playing more than that. I, I played uh, a regular five-on-five shift for the, those three playoff games as well, but uh, yeah, the, the original call was you're going to come up and you're going to play on the power play. Uh, produce and do whatever you can and uh, it was it was pretty cool I mean uh, again something I'll never forget and a ton of fun <laughs> I think that's almost like a compliment about your skill set at one point too like you're gonna come up to the show but you're only gonna play power play <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I didn't know how to take it but uh, no I was happy either way you, you managed to score a goal in your NHL career as well um, obviously a highlight for you growing up that's what you wanted to do obviously playing in the NHL you obviously remember the goal, but do you remember the emotion that you were going through after everything you had been through? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. I think I kind of blacked out a bit as well. I, I remember I couldn't sleep the night uh, after. I was, like, staring at the ceiling all night long and um, just so excited. Had uh, so many nice text messages and emails and phone calls from friends and family. And a uh, really cool experience and uh, wouldn't trade it in for anything. Well, we, we talked about you growing up in Stratford and going to Culleton games and then me watching you as a member of the Owen Sound Attack. I was actually at uh, the game in Mississauga because I used to cover the, the majors at the time when you guys won in Mississauga, and I was on the ice, and I remember just thinking, this Hishin kid is nasty. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate you taking the time, and I'm glad our paths have crossed again. Joey Hishin, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. He wasn't in the National Hockey League long, Mike, Joey Hishin. 13 games, but he did it all. He got a goal. He got an assist. 
He got a penalty minute, and he played in the playoffs. What else more do you want? I don't life? think you'd want anything else. What else more? I sure, a- sure, Jay McKee. Your 14 years or whatever is great. <laughs> don't get me wrong. And the, the, the contracts that they signed at that point are fantastic. But at the end of the day, Joey Hishon can look at his self in the mirror, and he can talk to his kids, and he can tell them, I played in the show. I, I wouldn't care if I took a shift. Or if I, I didn't, let me dress for a game. I don't even need a shift. I'll, I'll open the door. But Joey Hishon can say, I scored a goal, I got an assist, and I got a penalty. Poper, for somebody in our line of work, when I was in college, I interned. Uh, I did a, a work placement in the latter half of my second year of school on Hockey Night in Canada as a grunt. I, I ran cables for cameras. I set up microphones, whatever. But for five Saturdays, I showed up at the truck, the mobile truck, as we call it, the broadcast mm-hmm. unit outside Maple Leaf Gardens. And I got to walk into that building and set up cameras and do all of that work as the game was building to a crescendo. People start coming into the arena, the staff, the the, the popcorn starts yep. getting popped. I mean, my goodness gracious. Let me, can I tell you the quick story about Amy Gilmore. Sure. It's so, a podcast. We got all the time in the world. Oh, man. Let me tell you. One night I was on the other side of the camera as Ron and Don were doing Coach's Corner. So I'm in the studio with them. Uh, John Shannon of Roger Sportsnet was of course. the producer. Yep. And he was widely regarded as one of the best in the game. Anyway, and he, man. Still is. Oh, my goodness. But now, as an on camera yeah. person, back then, he oh. was. Behind the scenes, yeah, I mean, making the broadcast happen. I mean, he's still widely known as one of the greatest television producers this Absolutely. country's ever seen. Absolutely. So I'm there the one night, and of the five weeks I did this for my workplace, when I got moved to different stations, and I should... Eugene McElhaney, who hired me, not that I got paid, but who brought me in for this internship uh, with Global Television back then, was one of the nicest people. He did so much for me. During that time, so he would move me to different places, so I had different experiences every week. And this particular week, I was on the uh, camera at the Zamboni entrance. So I was basically behind the Leafs net for the game. And I didn't have to hold the camera. I had to make sure it was set up, and then some other guy that got paid was there. Anyway, so we're setting that (laughs) camera up, and I'm in the bowels of Maple Leaf Gardens. And all of a sudden, I hear this clickety-clack of heels on the concrete floor. And it catches your attention, so I look, and there's this blonde woman in a fur coat comes clickety-clacking on, and the closer she got, I thought, oh, my good gravy. That is that is one of the college-age me was like, whole, I, I don't think I could form a sentence. Yeah. One of the most attractive women I had ever seen. It was Doug's wife at the time. That's all. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, but I can, 25 years later, I still, still remember it pretty vividly. It was the highlight of uh, Maple Leaf Gardens. Perhaps of that night. I think it's funny. Maple Leaf Gardens, like it's um, the odd, obvious, or often gets compared to Maple Leaf Gardens. Sure. And I was down in Toronto driving around with my girlfriend the other day, and she's from there, and we were just driving around, and all of a sudden my head turns. I'm like, that's Maple Leaf Gardens. That's right there. Yeah. She goes, what are you doing? And I started, I'm like, that's, that's Maple Leaf Gardens. It, it's right there. And she's like, yeah. I'm like, she's like, I see it all the time. I'm like, you see it all the time, and you don't, it's Maple Leaf Gardens. 
<laughs> like, stop and smell the roses. <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand. Anyway, it was, I, I, I've seen it maybe five times in my life. And you're a Wings fan. Yeah, so now, Maple Leaf Gardens. Imagine me yeah. as a Leafs fan. In Maple Leaf Gardens. Right? I just drove by it. <laughs> Inside, the, my very last week on the work placement, Eugene took me around before the game, and he said, come on, we got to make sure all the mics are working properly. We got to check everything out. So I'm convinced to this day that he did this deliberately just as an excuse to take me to all of the different places at Maple Leaf Gardens. We're up on the catwalks above the ice, making sure the mics that are suspended from up there are right. Like we're going to really test them, right? Yeah. We're everywhere. I'm positive he did that just to give me the experience because he knew I was a Leafs fan. Of course. And maybe that means I pulled cable as well as anybody could have, you know, that uh, those five weeks with him. But man, oh man, that was something else. You got to see it. Just like Joey Hishon got to play one or, well, 13 games in the NHL in the regular season, three in the playoffs, one goal. Speaking of one goals. Somebody, finally, it took him 31 games, first round draft pick for the Kitchener Rangers, and we apologize, this is about a week late, but we had so much audio around the trade deadline to share last week. So we don't mean to keep Reed waiting to relive the highlight of goal number one. But it finally came. Here's Joe Gareffa circling the Owen Sound zone. Gareffa, what a move. Doesn't get a shot. Goes to the boards. Now he puts it in front. Vlad scores! Finally! Read him and weep in his... 31st game of the season. Reed Vallad finally takes that gorilla off his back and he gives his team the lead. I asked Reed Vallad after he scored, what are you going to do with the puck? And he said, oh, I'll probably put it up on a, on a dresser or something. Maybe what he should do is give it to his head coach. <laughs> we mentioned this earlier in the podcast and one thing that I've really enjoyed working with Jay McKee for is that he will, he'll just unprompted drop little stories on you. And we got a doozy. Well, you did in the post game interview. You're right. Reed, give the puck to the head coach and anything else he asks for, because not only did it help Reed, but we also find out <laughs> why Rob Ray should come knocking on coach McKee's door and ask for his 500 bucks. Just before he scored, I, I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, Reed, let me see your stick. I grabbed his stick and I rubbed the, the tape on the end of it. I said, you got one, kid. You got one coming. Next shift he went and scored. So and I, we all laughed because a few of the guys saw it. And I leaned in and I said, I guess I should have rubbed your stick about two months ago. Uh, so that was kind of a neat little thing that, uh, that that he probably won't forget for a long time. If only you knew that in your playing career, right? Eh? Uh, yeah. Well, I had... I. One time I played career in overtime in the playoffs in Philadelphia. I was sitting next to Rob Ray, and I said to him, if I score, I'll give you 500 bucks." I jumped on the ice and went out, and I scored within four seconds. It was unreal, an OT goal. So weird things like that happen in this sport. I don't know if Rob Ray listens to this podcast, but if you remember last year when we had Jay McKee on, and for anyone who didn't hear it, make sure to go back and listen. I believe it's titled First Round Pick, First Class guy or That's something correct. like that and it, yeah it's probably in the first 10 episodes yeah. yeah outstanding interview but 
he also told the, I can't remember whether he told the story on the podcast or after. So I'll just well, tell if it, it. If it wasn't, yeah, we'll <laughs> if tell it. If it wasn't, Jay, I'm sorry. Um, I don't think Jay listens either, so that's fine. <laughs> no one tell him. Um, but his first NHL game, he showed up, and Rob Ray's like, oh, first NHL game. Oh, that's a $100 fine. Oh, you know, first up for warm-up, eh? $100 fine. Oh, you got an assist. $100 fine. And... Jay owed Rob Ray some money there, and he never paid. That's right. And now another Rob Ray money story. Like, Rob Ray's going to come knocking, Jay, and not the guy you want to come knocking. Jay went out to the parking lot to his parents and like, I need to get 300 bucks <laughs> yeah. for Rob Ray. Like, I what don't... am I supposed to do here? So I think, the, yeah, the, the current tally is 800 plus interest. I, listen, I'm sure Jay's got 800 bucks, but I maybe just send him a check because I do not want Rob Ray knocking on my door. That, if I were Jay, that is for sure. Oh, man. As always, some fun uh, here with some some great guests and and looking around the uh, Ontario Hockey League as we we start getting into the good stuff now. I know we're past the trade deadline. Teams are going to settle in. That Guelph team we talked about earlier is going to start to gel. Jockeying for position is starting. We're into the the final third of the season, so it's go time. Real quick, we saw another first OHL goal. We should give credit real quick. Yes, Reed Vlad scored his versus the Owen Sound attack at the odd. And then the Owen Sound attack while hosting the Kitchener Rangers. Manuel Alberg got his first Ontario Hockey League goal. Some open space. Tries to bank it up the boards. It'll come out and Alberg will jump on it. Alberg with some speed into the zone with a shot and he scores! Manuel Alberg, his first OHL goal! Isn't that what it's supposed to be like when you sell some pieces at the trade deadline? You have guys step up. Guys, you maybe didn't get enough ice time, enough opportunity. Emmanuel Auburn, look at that smile. It's been a long time coming. He's been really good of late. No matter which team the player plays for, if you're a fan of this league, which we both are, you got to feel happy for the kid. I know it's something that I never accomplished in my life, and I never will. It's a goal that you won't forget, and we figured, why not celebrate it when it happens? When we got to see it, one, two first OHL goals against opposing like against each other and they have in separate in games back to back games against yeah. one another right it was, it was great to see yeah. um if you're a first time listener to this podcast make sure to subscribe like leave us a rating and tune in every friday also use the hashtag ask fnp that's farwell and pope to ask any questions you want us to answer or just riff on here during the podcast and Keep coming back for more. Or just tell us that we suck. You can do that too, because quite frankly, it's been said before. We kind of get it, but we're going to keep trying. And if you're still listening and we suck, (laughs) what does that say about you? Wow. (laughs) Why don't you just just take shots at our one listener, Pope? Sorry, Mom. (laughs) I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. This has been the Farwell and Pope podcast, posted weekly. If you have questions, topics, or a story you would like to be covered, simply email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. 
Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.